Hello and welcome to Brits on Flicks, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, dissect and deliberate over a movie of our choosing. And this month's movie is Thief and I believe this is the first time uh, during this series that we've picked a movie that we both haven't watched before. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So, how about, and usually we talk about how we stumbled onto this movie, but we stumbled onto it because of the podcast, so what about Michael Mann? Are you a big fan of his, or not? I am a really big fan of Michael Mann, actually. He's probably in my top ten directors, I'd say. Um, I, I, I think he could do with breaking away from making a similar kind of film but if you look across his CV he has proven that he can do a variety you know you look at historical kind of action film like Last of the Mohicans and you got a big crime thriller like uh, Heat uh, still my well yeah well we'll, we'll get into that later um, <laughs> give the game away there um, but yeah and uh, you know Collateral was like a just a, a really good kind of crime thriller, but he does he does tend to stick within that mold, mm. um, and that I, I I think if there's anything you could hold against him, it would be that. Um, mm. But for for the most part, even though that's what he does, he does it pretty damn well. So yeah, Michael Mann's one of those funny ones that you know his name, and I never. Go into one of his movies, going to like, oh yes, can't wait to watch this Michael Mann movie. What's well, going to be fantastic? I just, I just put it on, and then when it's done, I'm like, wow, that was really good. Put it to the side and never think about watching another Michael Mann movie ever again. I don't, I don't know why I do this, but you know, Thief is one that I've wanted to watch for a while. I do like James Can. Um, I'm a, I'm a, you know me, I'm a big fan of the eighties. This fits <laughs> my box that way. <laughs> And Nothing I'm, says the 80s like Tangerine Dream. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, we'll get to that as well. So, do you have mm. a short synopsis for us? I do, yes. Uh, here we go. Frank, played by James Kahn, is a professional thief. The best in the business. But his desire is to put this life behind him and settle down with his beautiful girlfriend, played by Tuesday Weld. In order to fulfil this picture-perfect dream of his, he makes a deal to do one last big score for Mafia Man Leo, played by Robert Prosky. But after completing the job he was hired for, he learns that Leo has other ideas. Leo wants Frank on his payroll, permanently. Frank refuses, resulting in violence, which forces him into survival mode, where even his dreams are sacrificed in order to stay alive. Excellent. So I, th- I think uh, we both picked up the Arrow Blu-ray on this one, didn't we, Brian? We did, yeah. yeah I think that's it. the only. I think it's the only format it's been released in over here. To be honest, yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the Arrow label. I, I get quite a lot of their stuff, mm. so usually get quite a few extras in that. With it, did you delve into the extras in this one at all? I I I watched the brief. Well, I didn't, actually, I didn't actually watch it all. I don't think it was quite brief, actually. I just I didn't get to the end of it because I had to go to bed. But I started watching the documentary on Michael Mann. Mm. Um, I did want to get into the director's commentary, actually, before 
recording this podcast, but I didn't get the chance to do it um, with me being away for a week. But that, uh, that's okay. I, I managed to listen to the director's commentary, um, so I've got a few tidbits from there as well. So look, let's just jump straight into the movie and okay. look at Frank, the main character played by James Can. Now, in the opening scene, we see, see them doing a robbery, and it's not the kind of clean cut robberies that you, you regularly see on on. TV or, or in movies, these guys have got heavy machinery, it's not a quick in and out job um, but they're very organised at what they're doing Yeah, it, it, it's very funny actually that you say it's not a quick in and out job because I actually looked at um, <laughs> there's a, a famous uh, screenwriter uh, Sid Field he, he wrote a book called Screenplay um, if, if, if you're thinking about becoming a screenwriter, I highly recommend reading that book. But he says that, on the whole, you generally know if you're going to like a movie within the first ten pages. Because um, it, 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 it hooks you in. And it, it kind of tells you most of what you need to know about the main character within those ten pages. If, if it's doing its job properly. Now, obviously, not every script is going to be... It's going to stick to that as though it's a golden rule, but uh, yeah, you know, on the whole, most movies, yeah, first ten pages you can tell. Now, I, I that, when you think that ten pages equates to ten minutes, the first ten minutes of this film are literally that robbery and then him driving away from that robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I don't know, it, I got nervous is all I'm saying. Um, really? You know, when we when we were, when I was watching it, we were ten minutes in, and I thought, so far all we've seen is a guy cracking a safe because it's it, it's not you know it's not a bit it's not like a it's not heat you know mm. it's not the ten minutes in heat where there's a big shootout where there's loads of action going on it's literally a guy drilling a safe in the dark. And then he drives away from the scene with his with his buddies and. Yeah, so I, I, I gotta say, even in those first ten minutes, I was clock watching. I was like, wow. I, I hope, yeah, yeah. Now, thankfully, thankfully, that that didn't. That's not a sign of what I what I think of the movie. Because um, yeah, thankfully, it got going and I got invested. Uh, I got invested in this main character, and he is is very much a blueprint. I would say for the character or characters I, I would I would say that were played by Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in Heat mm-hmm. um, that kind of obsessive prepared to leave everything at the drop of a hat um, if it's gonna you know if, if you feel the heat coming around the corner mm-hmm. ditch everything in your life that's this guy that's who he is um, so it is interesting you know you, you can see man's fingerprints you can see his heat fingerprints all over this and in many ways heat feels like a remake of this only telling it from both sides of the law whereas this tells it just from the the criminal perspective mm. you know you, you flesh you flesh that out you see it from from the the law's side of things as well yeah you get heat um so yeah, and, and Heat in itself is a remake of one of Michael Mann's own films, L.A. Takedown. Mm-hmm. So it, it 
so going back to my comments before, yeah, if you want to throw a criticism at Man, it is that he does kind of remake the same film again and again. But is there enough here to separate it? Um, yeah, that's I mean, a question. I know what you're saying about the, the opening bit. I've got to say, like, the opening scene's kind of like him. But we've got the Tangerine Dream music, which I actually <laughs> quite like in this movie. I think it works very well. Um, and you've got this funny angled scene of a car picking somebody up and then it drives out a car lot and down the street. Now, as it's in the car lot, I'm like, this is a funny angle for it to have. This is this is strange. And then as it pulls out into the street and it's got this perfect symmetry, it's got the rain lashing down as the car moves down the street. I was like, wow, I like this already. That, that image did it for me. And then to see the guys all diligently going about their job, this kind of lack of dialogue, their physical workmen, like, just getting through mm-hmm. this robbery. I like the fact that they all seem to be expertly knowing what they were doing. They were all working as a unit and, and they just, without words, knew what the next step was. And I kind of, straight away you knew this was a crew that had worked together for a long while. They knew each other. They knew the job inside out. And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious yeah. to see where this goes from here, and I think yeah. Frank it, it, like that. It, it kind of reminded me of the. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Rafifi. Yes. Yeah, in many ways it reminded me of that. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. Yeah. Um. So the character of Frank. So Frank has, as we find out later on, has been in jail, and he has this nihilistic approach to life. It doesn't care about anything. You know that he's he's willing to, at the drop of the hat, walk away from that without anything at all. And he's very um, straight and to the point, I would say. You know, it doesn't yeah. seem to be the kind of guy that would suffer fools gladly. He lays something out and he, he doesn't want to waste time. This was something that I got from the commentary. and It was James Cann that was talking about the character and he says that there's... This is a character who spent so many years in prison that now he's out, he doesn't want to waste any time. So he talks slowly and uh, to make sure that he doesn't have to repeat himself. He, he doesn't use any abbreviations of that. He makes sure that he punctuates every single word, um, which I didn't really pick up until the second time I was watching it, but he, he, he does that. Mm. Um, so the character is, is completely nihilistic. He, he kind of moves through life. He's just looking for the next job. He doesn't want to be tied down to anybody. And then when something happens to the guy that he's selling his jewels to, he ends up in the hands of this mafioso type, type guy. Now, what did you think of this guy when he first appears on screen? Is it is it Leo his name? I can't. Yeah, Leo. Um, I, I can't think where I've seen this actor before, but mm. I, I know I have. Robert Prosky. Um, but, yeah. Uh, he kind of... There was something off about him, right, straight away, really. You know, he's clearly a man who fancies himself as a big gangster, a big mafia boss type. And, you know, having seen many movies involving the mafia, once you're in, you don't get out. Mm. So this deal that he's striking up with James Kahn's character at the beginning, when... Everything that James Kahn is saying is, look, mate, all right, I'll work for you, but it's it's one job and I'm out. And you know, you know, if if, if you've seen any any 
mafia films, you know, you're not out. There's no way you do a job for this guy and then you're gone. Um, if you do a job for him, you're staying in his employ. At least that's the way he sees it. Uh, so, so yeah, so, so I, I think I, I'm, I spent a lot of the film waiting for that moment, waiting for that turn um, in which this guy suddenly becomes, well, sinister, very... Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's very articulate and trying to work him around, always trying to talk him into something. He doesn't seem to be heavy-handed at first. In fact, he seems to be stopping other people from getting the heavy-handed way. So I was never quite sure. Like, you you knew it was going to go and go wrong at some point. I just wasn't sure how it was going to play out that way because the guy seems kind of soft-spoken and he does seem kind of soft overall. But obviously that's just an act because later on in the movie we see him completely change into a, a diabolical character. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I always saw him as manipulative, like, because oh, yeah, everything yeah. he... Yeah, like, the the thing with the family, you know, Khan's character is trying to, trying to adopt this kid and this guy just makes it happen. And you know that that's, that's leverage. Everything he's doing for this guy is to get him deeper indebted to him. Um, well, Frank and, himself says he, 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 he doesn't care about anything. His mm. dream is to have the sort of white picket fence, the family, mm. the wife, the kid, um, the home, and this mob book gives him the kid, the yeah. home, yeah. money, yeah. and gives him all the things that he didn't have. It kind of takes away his ability to be the, his nihilistic nature. Yeah. You know, which is very manipulative. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's nihilistic to an extent, because I, I do, you know... I, I do believe that Frank genuinely wants these things. Mm-hmm. He he, so it's not that he doesn't believe in anything, which obviously is the nihilistic kind of point of view. It's not that he doesn't believe that having a family isn't a good thing and settling down isn't a good thing. It's just that he's prepared to get rid of all that if it means that somebody owns him. If it means that somebody has leverage over him, that will allow them to control him, um, and that and that comes from his prison life. You know, he's he's been in prison for so long in a system where literally he has no control. Everything he does is uh, is monitored. Is you know, he's told when to sleep. He's told when to eat. He's told when he can go out and do some exercise. That's prison life, you know? Yeah. And he, he would rather... So, so he has a dream. He has, he has these dreams and he's created this little collage of, of things he wants. So it's not that he doesn't believe in those things. It's just he's, he's prepared, unlike, unlike most people, unlike you and I, I would imagine, he, he's prepared to give up those mm. things at the drop of a hat if it means making sure no one ever controls him again. Yeah, and then, and then we well, let's let's jump on his relationship with Jesse, played by Tuesday Wild. Um who's an awesome name. <laughs> it's an actress, Tuesday. <laughs> I really like that. Um, and their kind of dating scene is I think one of the best I've seen. Where he goes to the city club and, and kinda drags her out. Um mm. takes her off to this diner. And he is one hundred percent brutally honest. 
Yeah. You know? It's just there's no ears or graces. He's spoken to his friend who's kind of who's kind of said, you know, just be honest. Um, yeah. And, yeah. He, and he he embraces that fully in this diner scene. He tells a horrible story about being in prison. He just basically gives bullet points in his whole life, what he yeah. wants in the future, and he just kind of throws all this into the lap of this woman um, mm. who, in the process of this conversation, just kind of almost agrees to it. Yeah, in, in, in someone else's hands, um, you know, in, in a lesser director's hands, in a lesser writer's hands, it would be nothing more than exposition. Um, but <laughs> because of the way it's handled, like I say, because of the way it's written, it, it says a lot more about this character than simply the words he's giving us. Um, you know, it tells us what kind of man he is. Like, you... There's a certain attractive quality, I think, to somebody who, who can be that brutally honest. Mm. Like, some of the things he's saying, you, you wouldn't really like a person who's done those things. But the fact that he can just talk about them so openly and honestly and kind of reason why he did those things... It, yeah, there's, there's an attractive quality to that, I think. And, and she... She is attracted to that. That's that's what she's attracted to. She's probably dated a, a dozen men who, you know... But, but his honesty kind of rubs off in her because, she, I mean, mm. this is that's kind of like a first date almost and, and she's like, I can't have children. She's starting to be honest and yeah, give yeah. him the truth. You know, like she, straight away mm. she's like, I can't give you what you want and he just comes back with, well, adopt. <laughs> you know, yeah. just, it, it breaks her walls down instantly. Instantly, yeah. It, yeah. It's such a fantastic scene I really really did like that scene just because of these two people who kind of cut out the first six months to a year of dating almost because mm. because the thing is he he doesn't give up power by doing that either because again in in, in, a, in another film um, when somebody tells a story like the one that he's told mm. you could you could play it as really vulnerable you could play it as it's, it's almost like an open wound and they they need that other person then to come in and, and rescue them and come in and save them uh, emotionally speaking but here it's 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 not really about that he doesn't need saving emotionally um he's he's just saying look this this is this is what i am this is who i am take it or leave it um so so he doesn't give up any power uh, by doing that, and and not not that it's a power game, you know. He's he's not he's not trying to get power over this woman, but I'm just saying he's he he keeps a, a certain strength about him, even though he's divulging things that could actually be quite vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, let's look at the other relationship in Frank's life, Okla, uh, Willie Nelson's character in, in prison. Mm. They only see this guy in like two scenes, but you see them uh, having a conversation in prison, and it just kind of again, it's just like they kind of cut through the crap. They don't have time for it. Like he's like, um, he's like, what happened to the wife? He's like, oh, she's gone. I'm seeing somebody else. Mm. Are you going to marry this one? Yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no preamble. They're just getting mm. to it, and we find yeah. out that this character's obviously dying. 
and it gives you an insight into Frank's character because Frank wants to get him out to let him die outside of prison. There's a kind of loyalty there. Um, so you mm. can see the side of, of Frank as well from this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 again, it shows that he's got a heart. It shows that, you know... Because I, I do feel that nihilist is too strong a word for for his character. There, there are there are certainly some nihilistic tendencies, but he can't escape his more human side. He does care for people. He has these certain attachments in his life that do still keep a hold on him. Um, and and Willie Nelson's character obviously is one of them. He's he's kind of like a father figure. Uh, obviously, someone he knew in prison who kept him kept him sane to yeah. some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what about the score, Brian? What did you think of yeah, it? Yeah, I I I have never liked Tangerine Dream. I'm sorry, but the. Their music destroyed legend, um, and uh, what else did they do? There was there was another film in which their score just stuck out like a sore thumb. It look I've I've never been a big fan of the eighties, and one of the reasons for that is the music and and Tangerine Dream just reeks of eighties. You you hear a few notes, and you know exactly where you are you know what decade you are in when you hear them playing uh, and yeah it's not my cup of tea <laughs> <laughs> what about in this movie do you not like it here at all or? it doesn't offend me but all I can think is if if you got like Hans Zimmer to rescore this film now Oh man, he could do so much more with it. <laughs> I, I kind of like it in this one. I can't say that it. Um, I can't say that it overpowers the movie in any way, shape, or form. I, I quite like the aspects of it. Um, yeah. So, what about the the, the large sort of final um, safe cracking thing that they do with that big lance? David, what did you think of that? Yeah, that, that that was interesting because the thing is, um, if you look at a film, look at other heist movies like Ocean's Eleven, for example. Mm. Um, now, before they do a heist, like in Ocean's Eleven, they'll show you everything. They'll show you every step that they're going to do. Um, so you, so you're waiting for each step of the heist as they've already shown you in their rehearsal. And that kind of creates a certain amount of tension because you still know what they've got left to do, so to speak. Um, whereas whereas here, we kind of don't get that. We just... we th- There's a certain attention to detail that man is, is, is famous for where he almost lets that detail speak for itself... Mm-hmm. And it's and it's enough. You you kind of you figure out that what their tools are, what they're working with, what they're doing, but you don't need them to explain what every step of this heist is going to be. At least that's that's the way I feel. I mean, I've only seen it the once, mm-hmm. um, 
and 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 I just you know they they whipped out this massive thing this this massive long poles and I just thought all right okay yeah show us what you're gonna do with that then <laughs> you know and and then they just use it so I liked that aspect of it you know I I liked that you kind of felt like you were peeking in um, on on a genuine heist like somebody had kind of open the door to a heist that you just walked in on. You don't quite understand what everyone's doing, but by the time they've finished, you know what they've done. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I like I like that. I, I don't know if this tool that they're using is real, but I would imagine with with Michael Mann um, b behind this that, that it probably is. It's probably mm -hmm. something he's researched and found out because... Um, a little bit like David Fincher in that respect. He he does quite heavily research. Yeah, they get it. They get it from uh, Leo's contact. You know the guy that works in the city. Mm, house yeah, the metal works. Yeah, he kind of tells him that this is the best thing to use for it. But that mm. that safe cracking scene, I really like it. Okay, because I, I think it's again it's drawn out. It's not quick. You see them all doing the jobs. It's not a, an easy thing to break a safe. They're, they're having to work for it. I think my favourite scene is at the end is the safe's opened and, and James Cann doesn't even go anywhere near it he just kind of yeah, pulls he just sits in, there lights just up a cigarette there, yeah. it's as if mm. to go like you know I'm done this is the last yeah. one that's me finished I'm just going to sit here and admire what I've done while they empty the safe mm. I'm going to get my money and I'm going to go um, which yeah. obviously doesn't play out like that but I really like that aspect of it as well um, so what about the dirty cops? What did you think of these guys? Oh, good grief! <laughs> they're not they're not Al Pacino, are they? No, they're not Al Pacino. Oh man, these guys are idiots. Talk about your incompetent policeman. Um, yeah, did I... <laughs> it surprised me actually. It did. It surprised me because I'm used to seeing um, both both cops and and people on the wrong side of the law in a Michael Mann film being quite intelligent you know mm. he, he he doesn't usually dumb down one side for the sake of the other but it appears that he does do that here um, I don't know if it's just something because he was early well it's his first film early in his career and and then maybe he kind of thought about that and reworked it later on and then obviously we get we get heat um, and, and public enemies uh, you know, Miami Vice, all, all these films in which you've got highly intellectual people working on both sides of the fence. Not here, no. The, the criminals are clearly going to get away with their crimes because they've got Inspector Cluso on their tail. But in all honesty, these guys don't want to catch them. They want money. Mm. I mean, that's what the whole... Um, beating them up in the police station is all about they just want the payoff they just want the cash um, they're not interested in catching this guy they, they, they become that way later on but only because they won't give him the money <laughs> which is mm. which is ridiculous um, Leo even says at the end he's like Jesus you, you pay the cops everybody pays the cops you're supposed to pay them yeah. it's just funny to find that these guys aren't really interested in catching them Mm. They just want your piece of the pie. <laughs> so let's get to the, the sort of finale of the movie. When okay, what what did you think of the scene in which 
uh, Frank essentially drops his life. He he chucks Tuesday Weld, yeah. uh, who he, he chucks her out. Just says go, be gone. You know he's 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 married this woman. He's adopted a child with this woman. He's got a house with this woman. And he just... I think there's a couple of things leading up to that. So before that, uh, James Bullshit character who I haven't talked about gets killed. And that mm. seems to be like his best yeah. friend. Mm. Then Leo takes him to some sort of plant and gives him this horrible speech, you know, like, I'm going to take your kid away, I'm going to put your wife on the streets, yeah. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to, I'm going to work you until you can't work no more. Mm. And just this horrible, just lets him know that he's in a corner and he goes home and he's this minute where he just looks in the mirror... And he looks at himself, and you can almost just see him going like flicking the switch, just going like, like life is going to be horrible unless it do something about it now. Yeah, but there's 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 two ways he could have played this, and you know he he could have shipped off his wife and his child to to somewhere safe, and say, look, I've got to do something. If I don't come back, if you don't hear from me. Just, just run. Um, you know, go go make a life for yourself. But he doesn't play it that way. He, he basically cuts all ties with that there and then, mm-hmm. and then goes to waste these guys. And it's like, well, that's actually what. Why not go and try and waste these guys? And if if he's successful, then he's got the option of going back to his life. But he doesn't. He just. It's like cut no, and 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 for me, I just I think I, I mean I don't have a problem with this in the sense that I actually I I think this is his character. I think this is, you know, he. This is the button I guess that has been waiting to be pressed, and he he's realized that this woman in his life, no matter how much he loves her will always have the potential to be his Achilles heel. Mm. So the way he sees it is he he will not have an Achilles heel. He will not allow himself the luxury of having something in his life that will at any point be able to be used against him. So rather than rather than taking the chance that he can be happy, that he can settle down with her, he just cuts the card. He just yeah. gets rid. Exactly. He 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 knows that he can't go into this battle with the thing that she may have hoped that he may come for her or he knows where she is. He he needs to have complete autonomy. He needs to have that cut out of his life. The only thing that matters going into this is that he's going to take these people out. If anything happens to him, it doesn't matter. There's nobody else attached to him whatsoever. So, I mean, I, I like to think at the end of the movie he's going to go and find her. Yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? If if this movie was made today mm. uh, and not by Michael Mann, we'd get that scene. We'd have her in a hotel somewhere or in a house and he'd knock on the door with some flowers, you know, whatever. They'd, they'd hug. You wouldn't need any words and the credits would come up. That that would be your modern-day Hollywood ending. We don't and, get that. And that would be worse. That, that would be worse. Well, yeah, 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 it would. It's the, the way they play it here is the right way to play it because, well, it can leave it up to you. If, if you, if you want to believe that he goes and tracks her down, 
then that's up to you. But it doesn't spoon-feed us that moment. And for me personally, my belief watching the film is that he doesn't go and track her down um, because he's made the decision that having her in the first place, falling in love with her in the first place, is what has got him into this situation because it has allowed him to be manipulated and he will not be manipulated again. He will not allow someone to control his life in that way. And the only way to do that is to cut all ties to anything that that matters. And I think she goes first because she's the hardest one to get rid of. So he needs to Mm. deal with that just straight out the the back, just get her. And then you just see him systematically deconstructing his life. Yeah. It, it, it just destroys everything. Mm. And then you get this really say, tense shootout at Leo's house. <laughs> and one of the funniest death scenes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, man. I'd, I'd taken the film so seriously up until this point, and I, I really enjoyed it. And, and I still do, don't get me wrong. Uh, when we get to our scores... I, I think you'll find that I, I, I'm quite, I'm quite high on the film, having only seen it the one time. Um, but this death scene, man alive, it was it was like, do, do you know when you're kids and you play like cowboys and Indians and things, and you get shot and then you 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 just play it for about five minutes, don't you? You you, you take an hour to die, and and that's what this felt like. I was like, man, this this is either bad acting or just poor editing choices um, to, to, to slow it down like that. Mm. But the way his body just flops and you're just like, OK, die already. Um, yeah, it was amusing. I, I, I must confess, I did literally laugh out loud when, when that happened, nope. which, which is a shame. It's a yeah. shame. <laughs> I think my, my funniest bit in that scene is... When Leo and his partner are sitting in the chairs, um, and one just looks over and he's just like, "Hey, you want some milk?" <laughs> <laughs> it's so random. Not a beer, not a whiskey, or not, anything not, like not that. Not scotch or anything. No, yeah, it's yeah. just milk. It's just it's not funny. not the kind of drink that you associate with gangsters. <laughs> milk. Yeah, but 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 it's it's that touch though that does make it feel more real. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because th- these are just two dudes chilling out. Um, and and it's just like yeah, it, it just it's it's random. It's bizarre that he he offers milk, but it it does kind of make it feel more real, bizarrely. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about with this? I mean, what about James Belushi? In his first role. Um, was this his first role? Wow. Okay. Because yeah, I, I mean, I I know him from comedy. Uh, and only from comedy, um, and I'm I'm trying to think actually of another role I've seen him in where he he, he was playing it completely straight, um, mm. and I honestly can't think of one. Uh, I he I think he doesn't do anything particularly re- remarkable here. I think. Um, it it does stand out that he is playing a serious role, 
but that's only by the by virtue of the fact that I know he he generally does comedy. So it's it's not. You know, he's not Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You know, he's he's not Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society or Goodwill Hunting. He's mm-hmm. he he just if if I didn't know who he was, if I didn't know, hey, that's James Belushi, then I the, he wouldn't have made a huge impact as far as his performance goes. As as far as the character goes. You know, I, I, I do kind of like the character. I do warm to him, and, and it, I, I do kind of... I feel sad mm. uh, when he... Yeah, when he takes the bullet. Um, so, yeah, that's probably more down to the writing and direction than Belushi's performance. Like, I mean, that, that, that does sound like I'm kind of being... <laughs> critical of Belushi and I'm not it's just you know he's not bad in this at all um he's good uh, it's just it's it's just one of those one of those kind of periphery characters that you get in many films like this that um yeah it's it does does what it needs to do and, and what about James Can? I mean I think the guy's terrific in this role of Frank I buy him mm. 100% as this character mm. yeah um, I, I recently saw James Cann's uh, first movie that he did called Lady in a Cage. Oh right, I've not seen that one. Oh, it's quite good. Um, right. it's it's about a sort of elderly widow who gets stuck in a, a an elevator in her house, and, and people start to come in and just kind of ransack it. And he's sort of like the head hoodlum. Oh, but even, okay. even then, he has this kind of like in, intensity about him. So it was good going from there to this movie, um, and he's put a lot more nuance on it. And I just I think he's I think he's absolutely terrific in the role. Yeah, I I think it's I think it was made for him really. Um, he does a fantastic job in it, and I think uh, he, he kind of he has played like that kind of character, hasn't he? The 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 guy on the who's kind of on the wrong side of the law, but has a certain kind of respectability about him. Um, yeah, and, and to to some extent, like in in his later career, he's kind of played that up a bit. You know, you mm-hmm. think of Mickey Blue Eyes, you think of his role in uh, in Elf. Uh, it it he does have that persona about him, um, but I I think it's this is probably the best I've seen him to be honest. Um, in that regard, uh, with maybe maybe Godfather as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anything else you want to discuss about Thief? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I, I just I think it's a a very good portrait of a man who re- refuses to compromise and refuses to be taken prisoner. Mm. Um, whether that whether that's physically you know literally in in a prison cell or or whether it's spiritually emotionally um to to him freedom is is his greatest asset and he won't allow anything in his life to take that from him uh and i i think michael mann does a very good job here of 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 showing us what a character like that would would be like, you know, um, and and like I say, we we see that many times throughout his career, uh, perhaps most notably in Heat. Um, so yeah, 
it's it, it's good. I enjoyed it. It's a very good film. Um, yeah, a very good starting block. Yeah, well, I think I just did. To be honest, uh, I think that is my wrap up. Um, it's got a lot of, a lot of the things in here. If you're a Michael Mann fan, you know, if you like Heat, if you like Public Enemies, you like all those films that you know we've mentioned, then I I, I think, I think you'll enjoy this. I think you'll see in it where he began those themes, where he, he you know, and, and I. I I have heard people say that this is their favourite Michael Mann film and I, I think if they saw this first, way back when it came out, then I, then I could understand why they might hold on to this still as their favourite. Um, but I didn't see this first. You know, I, I To me, I saw the thing that this went on to become, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the perfected article, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, I liked this film. I liked it a lot. It's a very, very good blueprint for what's to come, and I'll give it a four out of five. All right. Um, I, I liked Thief straight away from the opening shot. I just, I, I was in, I thought the character of Frank is one of the most fully realised characterisations I've seen on screen in some time. I liked his tale. I liked the way he lived his life and the way he, the rules he kind of made up for himself and he wasn't going to deviate for nobody. Um, I think the robbery scenes, there only has two in the movie, but they're two drawn out, fantastic robbery scenes that look realistic. And when you listen to the commentary and find out they actually had um, some of the best thieves <laughs> on set. Um, and, and it was their tools they were using as well, Brian. Wow. This was all, it was okay. all legitimate stuff. Um, <laughs> so, you find all that, they'd went to that kind of effort to make them look realistic, and it works. I like the personal relationship between Jesse and Frank as well. And the, and the, the city, the, the kind of openness that very few people have. These two people just seem to have it. Um, and the finale was so exciting that I didn't actually know it was, it was going to go to that but I'm so happy it did I thought it was great Thief I thought was absolutely terrific and for me it was a 5 out of 5 um, wow. I couldn't, I couldn't okay. wait to watch it again and as I'm talking about it now I can't wait to go and watch it again I think it's just tremendous tremendous, absolutely wow. tremendous it, it pushes all my buttons okay. um, I even like the score <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, yeah, all right. So, housekeeping? Housekeeping. Here's some housekeeping for you, folks. If you uh, like what we do here, please, 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 go and give us a rating and review over on iTunes. It won't take you that long, and it really does help us to get seen in, in the podcast kind of search engine thing. Um, yeah, and we'd really appreciate it, so... Please go and do that and spread the word. You know, if if you do listen to us regularly, tell people about us. We we, we don't we're not going to get discovered if you you know if you don't spread the word. So so do that, and thank you. Okay, so we're going to move on to the top five, and the top five of this episode is top five Michael Mann movies. Fairly simple. Hey, obvious, Plus. really, weren't it? Okay, yep. <laughs> or, or it should be simple. It should be. Um, do you have your list at hand, Brian? I do, yes, I do. Okay. Who's going first? Uh, 
I don't mind. You can choose. Um, I, I'm I'm still moving things about. <laughs> really, you, you go first. You go first. Okay. Um, Do it. <laughs> my, my my top three are, are are just jumping about. Um, but five and four is pretty set. So number five in my list is Miami Vice. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, hated it. Hated it when I saw it in the cinema. It's one of the few right. movies that has went from a hate to a love on several yeah. rewatches. Um, I think for some reason stuck in my head I had the old Don Johnson show and this couldn't be further <laughs> removed from that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the trailers kind of painted it out to be constant action. Yeah. And it's not. It's not. It, no. it's, it's about how the, the, the police work, how the, the case kind of it creeps in on these guys' personal lives and how it affects them, and and I think it's it, it looks superb. There is some really nice shots. I keep thinking of the fifty caliber shot uh, as they yeah. get put into the car. I like the fact that it's kind of jumping uh, between Havana and Miami and stuff like that. I like the two characters of Jamie Fox and Colin Farrell, and I think it's one of these movies that was kind of written off because it was a remake of a TV show, which was nothing like the TV show at all, yeah. other than in by name. Uh, so yeah. Miami Vice was my number five. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I, I think you're right in that regard. Uh, my my only gripe with Miami Vice was I didn't I didn't buy the romance between uh, Gong Lee's character and um, Colin Farrell's character. Uh, I, I I felt that that was really kind of poorly written uh, just 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 that element of it but the rest of the film yeah i found it quite engaging and, and i do think it's a little underrated i don't think people give it the credit that it, it quite deserves um but yeah my number five and i i really ummed and ahed with my number four and my number five and i'm, I'm still tempted to swap them even now but the way it stands i'm going to go number five Manhunter, uh, again, you know, a, something man is very uh, interested in, shall we say, is obsession on opposite sides of the law. You know, he, like, like I said before, he, he tends to give credit. To, to, uh, intellectually speaking to both sides and, 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 and tends to pay as much attention to both sides and what we get with Manhunter is this again this tale of, of two men who are essentially the same who, who are opposite sides of the same coin um, you know we get this William Peterson character who gets into the heads of serial killers in order to find them and it, it kind of brings him a little bit too close to the edge and mm-hmm. when we see some of the final moments between him and this killer this tooth fairy guy that he's he's helped to track down he's outside this house and he sees the killer inside the house and he's kind of he's he's walking in this tall grass and it's almost like he's a cheetah stalking its prey and you realise in that moment just how much he is like the man he's stalking. The only difference is the people he, he stalks, the people he tracks down, he, he can justifiably kill them, you know? Um, and and it, it really does ask that question that, like, 
does he does he love that a, a little bit too much you know um and, and uh, yeah so how 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 dissimilar are these two characters you know they're both obsessives they they uh, yeah, it's it's just it's a really good film, and for anyone who's not seen this, if you're a big fan of Silence of the Lambs, you really do need to watch this. You really need to to give it its due, um, because without this film, there wouldn't be Silence of the Lambs. Uh, this this essentially was the first film in in the se- in the series. Um, you know, they changed actors. Because this this didn't do all that well at the box office, so the the producer uh, De Laurentiis, Dino De Laurentiis, he 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 wanted to have another crack at it, so they went and they they adapted Silence of the Lambs, which was the the next book in the series. Um, but yeah, you know, this still it was his franchise. He and he started it here. This was his first attempt at it uh, as a producer. Uh, was Michael Mann's Manhunter, and it's it's an it's an incredible film. It's got a lot of style to it. Some say more style over substance. I have to disagree. Um, I I think it just has both in equal measure. Really good police thriller. Uh, check it out. Um, I think it should be said as well. Just before we get to the argument, um, <laughs> that th- these movies are all great, but I'm putting them in order of what I would like to watch if I, if I think it down like, what, what would I like to stick on first and things like that so yeah. just bear that in mind when we get to the shock moment later on um, okay <laughs> number four on my list is Collateral alright right, I really like this this has been my man was starting to get into the digital photography and he's, he, he uses a lot of mm. ways to get the cameras into the, the city taxi cab it puts Tom Cruise in a bad role and it, it's it flicks through all these various different scenes as Jamie Fox is kind of trapped in this horrible situation with a trained colour and he has no idea how to get out of it and every time he tries it seems to backfire on him uh, monstrously now <laughs> I, 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 it took me again collateral the first time I saw it I wasn't that enamoured by it and this seems to be like a trend <laughs> man movies for me. Like I liked it, and it wasn't until I watched it the second, the third time that I realised that I absolutely adored it. And Jamie Foxx for me is one of these actors that I can take or leave. You know, it seems to be whatever director he's working with, he can bring out his A game or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think here the, the two leads, Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, are fantastic. And I actually think Jamie Foxx is better than Tom Cruise, who's playing against type as this bad character, but. Collateral for me is number four. Okay. My number four is Last of the Mohicans. Uh, I, yeah, really love this film. And it's got some of the best music, some of the best score in, in, in cinema. There's, there's just a few tracks on, on the soundtrack for this. And they just, oh, man, every time I listen to them, so so beautiful um but yeah daniel day lewis can't go wrong with daniel day lewis i think he is easily in my top five actors of all time um even if he doesn't quite take the number one spot he probably would be my number two he just he never delivers 
a half-assed performance. Um, and yeah, great here. Madeline Stowe, I had a bit of a thing for Madeline Stowe around the time this film came out, um, mainly because of 12 Monkeys, to be honest. But yeah, just, she's great here. Uh, and and it's just, it's brutal. It's like, this it, is... I think before this, there was there was dances with wolves in nineteen ninety, and then we didn't really get a good solid look at Native American culture uh, un until this. Really, I can't I can't think of anything else after Dances with Wolves until this. Um, and yeah, those two films really that they, they make a really great double bill. Um, but I, I, I just, I always remember when, when I first saw this, just being horrified when the, when the Indians, um, skin the, the scalps off the top of <laughs> people's skulls, like just really kind of blasé about it. Like it's just the, the most natural thing in the world. Um, but there's just, just scenes like that, the way man handles them, you know, it, it's just, very realistic, very naturalistic, uh, and yeah, it's it's just a brilliantly directed movie, I think, and some and a film that is, it doesn't quite fit the bill. Uh, there's there's one other film on my list um, uh, that coupled with this one, like I say, shows that man can do something other than a crime thriller. He can step into a different genre of film and excel at it. And this, yeah, this is. This is one of them. Um, really great film. Um, number three on my list, and this is where they're all interchangeable here, three, two, and one, but number three on my list is Heat. Now, um, <laughs> starring Pacino and De Niro and host of other characters, this is a remake of LA Takedown. It's widely regarded as one of the best crime heist movies ever. Because of these uh, super realistic staged gunfights, um, the the unbelievable scenes between Pacino and De Niro in the diner, uh, sort of build up the, the sort of teamwork that the, the the guys have, the juxtaposition of the bad guys and the good guys, and how they're both obsessed with the similar things, and how it's such a fine line between these two personalities. One's on the good side of the law, one's on the bad side. But here, by the grace of God, they could interswitch, not a problem. But it's not a movie that I go, yeah, I'm just going to throw that on. It's one that I have to work myself up and actually force myself to go and put on. Usually when I do, I enjoy it, but it's that, I, I need that urge, that, the, the niggle to go and actually put it on. Um, but yeah, I, I fully understand why folk love it, and lots of people do. So, Heat is my number three. I'm going to leave it there because I'm pretty sure that you've got a lot to say about it further on down the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, my number three is Collateral. Um, yeah, pretty much everything you said. I, I mean, I loved this the first time I saw it. And the first time I saw it, I was on a plane to Japan. Um, and the flight was so long. I, I, I watched Collateral. That was the first film I watched from the in-flight movies. And then I watched something else. 
and that film, the second film kind of bored me and I, I'd enjoyed Collateral so much, I just stuck it on again. So within, yeah, within the space of like nine hours, I'd seen Collateral twice. Um, it was probably less than nine hours, to be honest. Yeah, so Collateral followed, followed straight away by another film, followed straight away by Collateral again. Um, and I, I loved it. Um, when I got back from Japan... Couldn't wait to tell people, hey, you know, I've, I've seen this, saw this film on, on the plane, Collateral. Have, have you seen it? <laughs> so yeah, I loved it uh, for all the reasons you said, uh, but just this this kind of cat and mouse game. I really like Mark Ruffalo in it as well. Um, this was the film that kind of started. This is this is where I started to notice Mark Ruffalo as an actor. Um, I kind of. He was one of those faces at that time who who seemed to just kind of pop up in loads of different things, but was always unrecognisable. He always seemed to look different um, in, in everything he was in. But obviously now he's he's much more recognisable because because he's obviously much more famous. Um, but yeah, I just remember seeing him in this and thinking that that guy's that guy's got something. That guy's one to watch. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I love the film. Um, I love the just a lot of scenes inside a taxi in which it's just two people chatting, mm -hmm. but there's so much tension in in what they're saying and and so much character building in what they're saying and you know they the way that Tom Cruise's hitman kind of pulls information out of Jamie Foxx's character. Uh, you know he starts to see holes in his. Uh, in his shell, so to speak, and he's, he's he's able to manipulate him, able to to get things out of him and twist things, and it's just really well played, really well written. Uh, some great dialogue in it, uh, the interplay, as as you mentioned before. So yeah, that's my number three collateral. Um, right, I suppose I'm going to have to make a decision now. Um, my number two. As Thief, the movie we just watched. Um, pretty much for all the reasons that we just discussed, uh, I think I can see me throwing this one in a lot. A lot, just that it, it's all-encompassing. There doesn't seem to be a wasted minute of screen time. It's quick, it's exciting. It's something that I can see myself watching a lot, like I said, which is why I've put it above heat. Um, eh, I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. <laughs> Uh, right, yeah, uh, my number two is The Insider. Um, easily one of Russell Crowe's best performances. Uh, another great turn from Al Pacino. And just a nail-biting story. It, it sounds boring. You know, when you read it on paper, a whistleblower for the tobacco company... You know, tells tells sixty minutes that cigarette companies know just how harmful their products are, but they kept it a secret. Ooh, that that sounds really, really thrilling. Not, but it is. It's so so gripping. Um, and again, it's um, Michael Mann does this thing. You know, he's he's 
he look he do, he's never happy to just look at one central character. He he, he tends to have two that kind of look at different that come at, at things from different angles. So you've got this this reporter who who works for sixty minutes, the guy who broke the story, and then you've got the whistleblower Jeffrey Wigand, played by Russell Crowe. And the first half of the film kind of sticks with that character, so you feel like it's always his story. Um, and then kind of halfway through, the the focus starts to shift more towards Al Pacino's character, and then it beco- kind of becomes his story. Um, and I love that. I, lo- I love the way it does that, and I love the way it gets you invested in both of these characters, who <laughs> you kind of root for, and then because you're rooting for both of them at the same time when the two of them kind of become at loggerheads because because Wigand feels like he's been abandoned he feels like you know um this reporter this Al Pacino character hasn't co- hasn't come through for him when he said he was when he made all these promises um, even though it's not his fault it's his network that have let him down so you really feel for both of them you know like you, you can understand that from from Wigan's position yeah he would feel let down by this guy he he would want to turn his back on him um but you also because we've seen just how hard Pacino's been working for the guy to try and get his story out there you feel for him as well and it's just yeah you know like it takes something that seems obvious i.e. cigarettes are bad for your health um and it just turns it into a political thriller of the highest order um one of the best that that you're going to find out there and and I personally think it should have been con- a contender for best picture at the oscars without doubt if 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 not a winner to be honest um so yeah the insider is my number 2 okay um, whenever I think of Michael Mann, there is a single movie that just pops into my head straight away. It's it's one that I absolutely love. I've seen countless times, and that movie is Manhunter, and that is my right. number one pick. Um, okay. Pretty much for most of the reasons that you said, um, but I, I like it in in Mann's filmography because most of his characters, when there's a say good versus well, there's not really good. Look, you look at Heat, and you've got the two characters, and you can justify both their sides of this one you have a, a, a cop and then you have a serial killer so you have a, quite clearly a good and a bad guy and you've got Will Graham's character Will Graham is just this obsessive who can barely hold himself back from seeing the, 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 the complete bad guy's point of view you know and it's, it's this kind of obsession that you said he has the, the, the fact that he can put himself in his shoes that I find so interesting that he knows exactly what that person's been doing, how it haunts him, how it goes through his everyday life and just affects him. And I think the fact that Science of the Lambs came out a couple of years later and this gave that its kickstart, I think Science of the Lambs kind of stole a lot of the thunder from Manhunter that it should have had. And I think it was kind of almost marginalised because of that, because then you had the Anthony Hopkins lecture performance and everybody was talking about that. When an Oscar, it moved on to Hannibal and then we eventually ended up with Hannibal Rising. <laughs> but, oh man, that's painful. <laughs> painful memories. Yeah, but here we've got Brian Cox, and it's not really about this over-the-top character of Hannibal Lecter. He's in it, but it's a more realised, not 
arch-villain type performance here. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, when I think of Man and I think of the movies I want to watch, Manhunter's the first one that I reach for because it's in my kind of wheelhouse. Mm. So, Brian, would you like to unleash this uh, number one of your choice? <laughs> I've no idea what it could be, but... <laughs> I'm sure you do. Uh, yeah, for me, clearly... It's heat. This isn't just my number one Michael Mann film. This is in my top ten movies of all time. Um, it, it's just incredible. It's an incredible piece of work. Um, and, and, you know, I, like you, it isn't the one that I'm going to grab off the shelf most. It isn't, because when you've watched it, you feel like you've had a workout. You're going to feel emotionally drained, because it's just... It's an epic, in every sense of the word. It's a three-hour-long film. You're following multiple story strands. You know, you're being asked to identify with several different characters. Um, again, that, that thing that you know I just pointed out, that man doesn't just give you one central character that you follow on a journey. He tends to give you a couple, because he's not satisfied with just showing you one side of the argument. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, you, you feel for... Well, I don't know about feel. You, you, you identify with Robert De Niro's thief um, as much as you do... Al Pacino's cop, and and the thing is, n neither one of these guys is 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 all that together. Though the the thief does seem more together than the cop. You know, the the cop they're both obsessives, but the the thief seems to be able to hold down a relationship. Um, seems to be able to have some kind of control over that that aspect of his life, whereas. The cop's got this family that is completely falling apart because he's never there and he's obsessed with his work. Uh, and it, it is really just a great look at obsession and the different sides of it. But so, the periphery characters as well I'm really drawn into. Val Kilmer's character. Um, this this character played by... Um, oh, I forget his name. He, he, but he plays the getaway, get, getaway driver. Most people are know him as President Palmer in the TV series 24 but yeah Dennis you know, Haysbert that's the one yeah and he you know he comes in part way through the movie he's just this guy who's who's out of prison he's got this crappy job and his boss has been a right douchebag with him so so you understand like exactly where he where he's coming from when you know the Within a moment, his life is irrevocably changed by Robert De Niro, who just who just by happenstance sees him working behind uh, the 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 in in the kitchen and just says, "Look, we've got this job. A driver's dropped out. Can you fill in?" And 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 the the ramifications of that are, 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 they hit hard because this guy is trying. He's trying to. He's trying to go straight he's trying to look after his his missus and, and and you know and be a good guy and he he just makes that mistake of taking on this one job and he ends up he ends up getting killed and it, and, it's, and I, I i find it quite emotional it's it's you know so and and i think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking oh he yeah the shootout you know there's a big 15 minute shootout in it and and they but there's so much more to it than that the, the character development in it is is just incredible um 
and yeah, the interplay and and the the man's own obsessive attention to detail. You think about the robberies and how we go into it, the planning, the where where they get the blueprints from, and they they go to this Tom Noonan guy and they get the blueprints, and it shows you every step of this robbery, how they have to do it, you know, and uh, I really appreciate that. I really like going on that that trip you feel invested as a result in what these guys are doing you almost don't want the cops to catch them Mm. Uh, but because you're invested in the cops as equally you do want them to catch them and so 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 you're you're torn between these two sides and and that that's quite an expert thing to do if a writer and a director if a writer slash director can can really make you feel that torn between the good guys and the bad guys then yeah, that's that's an incredible skill. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a masterpiece. It is an absolute masterpiece of a film. I I will completely agree with you. Chances are, I will watch Manhunter more than this because, for a start, it's half the running time. <laughs> it is a it is a film you can crack on and be done within an hour an hour and a half and 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 be on your way and and do something else or two hours. I, th- I think it might be closer to two hours, but. Yeah, you know, you, you don't just stick on a three-hour epic. It, it it requires a lot of investment, um, and like I say, you, you're gonna feel it afterwards. But if, if if you're talking which is the better film, for me, without doubt, Heat. One of the, one of the best movies of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, okay. So, do you have movies for next episode? I do indeed. Uh, so we've got five selections. We've got five um, synopses that have been slightly reworked. Uh, I've re-jigged. got to say, Brian, oh. I'm really enjoying this new aspect of the show. I've got to say, okay. it's, it's equal parts <laughs> excitement and fear and dread. Yeah, it really is. Oh man, because you can end up with something good like Thief, or you can end up with the Fighters. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think you just chose that one outright. That wasn't part of the uh, this. That's, that's ancient history, Brian. Ancient history. That that is ancient history. Although you know, props props to uh, what's his face who was in it because he because he he made that film Jeffrey worth watching. Coombs. Jeffrey Coombs. That's the one. What a guy. Uh, yeah. So five films. Two of them on here, I think, may be considered uh, bottom end of the cinematic scale, but I, I figure, you know what, we, we've got to do it. We can't just go for classics all the time. Mm-hmm. We've got to open it up to the possibility of of of, uh, of reviewing a stinker. But here goes. Uh, here's the list. First one. One man returns from the grave as a vigilante determined to clean up his city and take revenge on those responsible for his death. Ooh, I think I know what that one is. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right, okay. Um, a stewardess, a gun runner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con, a federal agent and a hot stoner. The only thing that stands between them is half a million dollars in cash. Next up, this year, get ready for one killer high school reunion. 
Next one. It's not the pirates that have boarded which the passengers on this ship need to fear, but something else entirely. And the last one. A disillusioned soldier switches sides, pledging himself to the cause of his enemies. Okay. Do I get to make my wacky guesses now that are completely yeah, wrong? Yeah, you can make can make your wacky guesses that are completely wrong. Okay, I think number one's the crow. You are wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I think number five is soldier. You are wrong. Well, I think I definitely know what number two is, and I'm terrified to see it because I don't want to knock it out. Jackie Brown. <laughs> I'm I'm going to knock number two out because I think it's Jackie Brown. You're going to knock two out. It is Jackie Brown. You're right. Um, I'll tell you something. I'm really interested with three and four because they sound completely genre specials right up my street. Yeah, yeah. Um, Um, Do you want me to read any of them to you again? uh, Not just now. I think I'm going to knock out number one. Okay. I think you'll be glad you did that. Um, I'm intrigued to see Don't it again. Spawn. No, no, it's not Spawn. I'm intrigued to see it again because I've only seen it the once, uh, and it just it did get ripped a new one by by everybody when it came out. Um, it's the spirit. Do you know what? I wouldn't mind revisiting that at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I always try to go for films where. I, I the, where if I do the synopsis for it, I know that it sounds exactly like the synopsis of something that is more famous or more well known. So uh, just just because I just I just like to try and throw you off. Like that, right, so. Give me the synopsis for three, four, and five again. Okay, this year, get ready for one killer high school reunion. Number four. It's not the pirates that have boarded, which the passengers on this ship need to fear, but something else entirely. And number five, a disillusioned soldier switches sides, pledging himself to the cause of his enemies. Okay. I have got an idea what three and four is, but I'm probably wrong. I'm going to get rid of number five. You're going to get rid of number five. Okay, number five is The Last Samurai. I've not seen that. Have you not? Oh, my goodness. Dude. Oh, I love that film. I so love that film. Oh, I cannot believe you've not seen that. Okay. Man alive. I don't want you to tell me anything, right? But I'm going to to lay out what I think these two movies are. All right. I think number three is Gross Point Blank. And I think number four is Deep Rising. (laughs) (laughs) I love this game. (laughs) Am I I completely wrong? Well, I can't tell you, can I? Because you said don't give anything away. So So we have a colour high school reunion. Or we have pirates aboard a ship and something deadly is on the ship as well is it something deadly it is <laughs> see yeah it's in, it's in danger of being speed too um, 
Can, can, can I... Can I just... Oh, man, no, it's all right. It's all right. Don't worry. What are you going to see? Number four is a film that I've been kind of... I've been dying to give myself an excuse to watch it for ages, but I just I just never get around right, to doing it. Right, let's go for number four, because I'm, I'm 50-50 here. Take, which number three? Take that away. You take a number three, right? Number three is indeed Gross Point Blank, one of my favourite films of all time. Um, and number four... Is indeed deep rising. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been after seeing this film for ages. Have you I've not seen, seen it, it before? Oh, you've no, seen I it have. I've, I I watched it quite a lot actually years ago when it first came out. But it it must have been about ten years that I since I've seen it, if not longer. Um, and I, I, it's just one of them that it's just like it's been on my shelf for years and years and years. And like whenever I get to the point where I just I want a guilty pleasure, I want to just stick something on, it it, it gets pulled out with the pile, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, it, for whatever reason, it just doesn't get picked. But I, Pat, there's something in my heart that keeps on saying, "Oh, dude, you got to watch Deep Rising again," because yeah. I just remember it being a blast. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember loving the hell out of it. Treat Williams mm. is a great action star, directed yeah, by Stephen Summers. Yeah. <laughs> just um, if there's one thing uh, that pissed me off about this movie is that we never got the sequel that we were promised at the end of it Brian. oh yeah man alive exciting so we've got a genre specific flick next Deep Rising I, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to checking that out that's going to be a flick. I don't know if there's going to be much of a conversation if that makes sense I, I, I think it'll be one of those conversations just like I think you're going to have to make a lot of notes about things that just entertained you, really. Yes. Um, things that were funny, things that, yeah, were quite disgusting to look at. Mm. But uh, and, and maybe draw a few comparisons from this to a lot of other uh, of Stephen Summers' other work. Because I'll say this now, I, I think it could probably be still be his best film. Yeah. Um, which isn't set, you know, it's not a high bar well, to reach. But I don't know. The Mummy is a pretty good movie. I do quite like that. It, it is. But yeah. uh, you know, he had a lot more money to play yeah. with on that film, so there's no excuse there. Whereas so, this, really cheap. Right, Brian, your your top five putting you on the spot. My top five mm. for the next episode. Next episode. Oh, good grief. Okay. Um, top. Five, we we've done monster movies before, haven't we? We did we did top five monster movies. Um, top five. I always forget this man. I always forget that I'm gonna to have to come up with a top five for the next episode. Um, okay. Top five Famke Janssen roles. Okay. Because she's in Deep Rising, obviously. Yeah, yeah I'm just. Um, and quite, quite frankly, she she was one of the. Until seeing the film, she was the main draw, quite frankly, to mm. to get me to go and see it. Um, but Excellent. yeah, so absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to this already, actually. Mm. So, Brian, what have you been doing recently on your channel? Uh, slowly dying inside. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we all do, to be fair. <laughs> No, it 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 it's, it can be hard work at times. You know, you, you, it, doing a YouTube channel, you, you do invest so much in, and and sometimes it feels like 
very little reward. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I at the moment I'm going through Gotham. Uh, I don't know if I said that in the last episode, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm I'm reviewing, trying to review every episode of Gotham. Just quite frankly, because I've not seen them all and I wanted to catch up on it, so I thought I'd kill two birds with one stone. Um, beyond that, yeah. Not right, lot. I'm not really. I'm not really selling the need to go and check out my channel here. But if nothing else, if you've not been to my channel, there's a there's like four or five hundred videos and on there that you can catch up on. You know, um, so please do check that out. Um, yeah, um, on my channel, I, I started a new series. Hopefully, it'll be continuing soon. It is um, Silent Film School. Yeah, I um, I am advised a, a silent movie to watch, and I check it out and give my thoughts on it. Um, it's not really something that I have ever experienced. In fact, I recently did two, um, and that's the first two I've ever watched, and and it was a really different experience. And that's something I'm hopefully going to be continuing, as well as the and, usual. Sorry. And and who's been recommending the uh, silent uh, movie? Luke Ryan is doing it. Ah, I, I I had a funny feeling it would be because he he is the silent movie king. Yes. On YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we were having a conversation, and I happened to mention that I don't remember seeing any. And uh, after he picked himself up off the floor, he decided that he was <laughs> going to help me check some out. So I'm quite curious about this because it's not something that I know a lot about, but mm. I'm interested in checking a few of them out. So that's one series that I'm hoping is going to continue. Mm. Other than that, there's the it's usual. Uh, top tens and movie reviews as always. Yeah. It is worth saying to uh, to our listeners out there, uh, Luke Ryan is actually quite a a friend to this show. I think mm-hmm. um, so. Do go and check out his channel. It it is Razor Wire Reviews over on YouTube. Uh, yeah. So please join us next month when we uh, talk about Deep Rising. I can't wait, right? Really can't. <laughs> <laughs> and as always like, rate, review as Brian said earlier on we'd really appreciate it and if you happen to drop by our channels just say hi and that you came from this podcast we'd really be interested to know that you're listening and watching that would uh, give us a bit of an ego boost so thanks for listening and we'll see you next month on the Brits on Flicks the Brits on Flicks yeah <laughs>